0: I just thought after I read that gospel that I might want to say a word to you about what is known in theology as the virginal conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary and to tell you something about the importance of being a student of the Bible and not just somebody who's floating down a stream of grace hoping it'll be fine. In the uh, Old Testament, There are some passages, particularly from the book of the prophet Isaiah, that speak about uh, a young woman shall conceive and bear in her womb a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Matthew mentions it in his gospel. Today we read from Luke, and uh, the quotation is somewhat similar. But here's the thing. In the Hebrew text, the word that is used for its translated as virgin here is alma and in hebrew alma means a young woman of marriageable age not a virgin in the period uh, when the jews uh, were scattered in the diaspora uh, many of them forgot how to speak hebrew and so they made a translation of the Old Testament into Greek, which was the lingua franca of the area where the Diaspora was after, after Alexander the Great. And in that section from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the word Alma in Greek is translated Parthenos. Parthenos means virgin. Now, the reason this is important in terms of the tradition, remember Episcopalians understand what is authoritative uh, in the way in which we appropriate and make part of our own personal history, the deep things of Christian faith and belief. We have three things, the Bible, the tradition with a capital T, and our human reason and experience. And so both Luke and Matthew used the Septuagint translation for this passage, and not the Hebrew Bible. Matthew would have probably preferred the Hebrew Bible since he was a former rabbi, but he used the Septuagint because he was the possessor of a oral and written tradition that preceded the gospel, as was Luke, that wished to support the idea of the virginal conception. You can believe what you will about this, but it is clear that the church was at pains to preserve that tradition within its biblical text. So that's why we have persisted uh, in saying virgin in uh, the reading in English, because that's what it says in Greek, parthenos, virgin. I didn't intend to say a word about that, but it just came into my head. So <laughs> We had lessons and carols today. And uh, so the themes in all of these readings are one of announcing the coming or the birth of Jesus. So I thought I'd say something to you, first of all, about a word that preachers use all the time this time of year, incarnation, incarnation. And we make the great mistake of assuming everybody knows what incarnation is, or at least you say, well, the preacher says incarnation, so I know it must be important, but I'm not quite sure what in the world incarnation means. So we might say something about that. And then two themes that the second Sunday of Advent give us every year, uh, notwithstanding that we had the Advent service of Lessons and Carols. And they are the importance of God's judgment and how we understand what that means and the importance of repentance. And the gospel for this Sunday, if we were not having lessons and carols, would be to introduce our old friend, John, don't sing jingle bells to me, the Baptist. So he's pretty rough stuff when he's speaking about this. John the Baptist actually is talking this Sunday about the fact that we must understand the importance of what we're celebrating here, the coming and the birth of the infant Jesus. And we must understand its meaning. Matthew's gospel has John the Baptist do this. Understand the meaning of this by seeing the totality of the ministry of the Savior in depth. And that's, not a, that's a fancy way of saying uh, in your own life, if you come to some insights about who you are and what you think you ought to be doing, it usually is the result of having some reflection about where you've come from and where you've ended up, and somehow you've begun to see it in depth. You have understood this a little bit more fully, and that's, of course, what the early Christian communities out of which these gospel witnesses emerged did. They understood something about uh, the person of Jesus Christ in depth and the totality of his ministry. So let me say a word to you about incarnation. It comes from a Latin word. Incarno means in the meat. Ooh. (laughs) But what it means, of course, is that God became a human being. Episcopalians have been accused, if there, of, of, well, of many heretical things, certainly recently. Some, but, the, but the truth is that um, if there's an, an Anglican heresy, some would say it's an overemphasis on the incarnation. It is deeply important to Anglican Christians that God became a human being. And the humanity of Jesus is important because it has enormous implications for the world, both personally understanding the incarnated Jesus as the template that we lay over the development of our own spiritual life, the maturing of our emotional, mental, and spiritual states, but also corporately, And to understand that for some reason, the humanity that the Savior embodies in his earthly ministry is the same humanity that we possess. And by virtue of that, we now understand that each one of us has a role to play in big and small ways for God's plan for the cosmos. You count So the Incarnation and what we celebrate in Advent and then, of course, in Christmas. I think most people, I used to be pretty haughty about all this. I think most people want Christmas to come fast. So we have Advent and we appear pretty, you know, rigorous about Advent, right? No is in here yet, right? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm the worst about this. I'm in it. But the fact is that most of us would just like to fast forward to old little town of Bethlehem and get down to get down to it. <laughs> right. Don't beat yourself up too much about that. That's just sort of the way the way it works. But the incarnation is important. And the declaration in these biblical readings you heard from Isaiah, the Isianic prophecies from the great Micah, from Zephaniah, all of them have to do with how the promises of God will be fulfilled. And for Christians, they look back on these sacred texts and said, if we would have only realized this is what it's talking about for us. So the idea of God becoming a human being is important. It is the sanctification of our humanity that is being celebrated with the Incarnation, and how important it is that we have seen someone who achieved the highest of their human potential, and that by extension we will be able to do that as we live. Now, a word about God's judgment. Let me tell you the motive for this. Teachers of homiletics would say, you're never supposed to do this, what I'm doing right now, but believe me, I've never learned a darn thing from any teacher of homiletics that I could use in the parish. That's my own view. Absolutely useless homiletics teachers. Forget about it. I hope there are none sitting here visiting from some theological school about which I'm unaware. In the Anglican Church of Canada, I was just up seeing my kids in Vancouver at the end of October. Uh, they had been involved in the kerfuffles and the worldwide Anglican communion, and there just was a court case that was uh, handed down by the Supreme Court of British Columbia, which said that those parishes, Anglican parishes in the Diocese of New Westminster who made a decision to step away from the Diocese of New Westminster and join up with one of the other dioceses in the Anglican Communion, an unheard of desire uh, for many ways, in terms of the tradition with a capital T, they may not now continue to operate in the property that they're in, that that property belongs to the Diocese of New Westminster. That's the rule in our own church here in the the diocese. So they're going to need to vacate the premises or premises. And uh, have you ever heard of the Reverend Sidney Smith, the great English humorist priest in the late 18th and early 19th century? He was walking down one of those narrow London streets one day that have the houses that come over the street like this, the second story. And there were two women across the street with the windows open, and they were yelling and screaming and arguing with one another. And the Reverend Sidney Smith looked up and said, Ladies, 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 You will never agree. You are arguing from two different premises. (laughs) So one of the parishes that has to go is the biggest church in that diocese, St. John's Shaughnessy. It's probably one of the largest parishes in the whole Anglican Church of Canada. And it is full tilt buggy, no holds barred evangelical stuff at St. John's Shaughnessy. So out of curiosity after this, I went to their website and I saw that they have, like we do at St. Luke's, you can listen to the sermons as an MPG file, you can listen to them. And I realized that what I was getting listening to this was a view of... Uh, the reason for the Incarnation, the purpose of the Incarnation, what the nature of God's judgment is, that it is absolutely a hundred and eighty degrees away from what I was taught when I was in seminary, and from many if not most of my colleagues would say, this is not the way in which we choose to interpret the deep things of Christian faith and belief. I say this without prejudice, Because for some, that stuff may appear to be life-giving. But it's heavy on God's judgment, and it's heavy on the fact that you and I have no way to get back without the work of Jesus on the cross. So, why is this important? The purpose of the incarnation... Was to provide God as a human being who would then be crucified and save us all from our sins. That's the reason for the incarnation. There's another one that I prefer, and that is that the incarnation is the fulfillment of the love of God and his desire to be present among us to live in the midst of humanity. And to walk in the garden with us. Anglicans think the incarnation is important because it is an affirmation of God's unconditional acceptance, love and forgiveness. And when you hear preachers speak of something called the mystery of the incarnation, it has to do with the fact that this self-sufficient being that we call God needs us needs each one of you and seeks to be with you in fellowship internally and externally, providing us the strength and the stamina to face the challenges and the opportunities in front of us on a daily basis. And so it is extremely important to understand the incarnation, not as the purpose of inuring every one of us from eternal damnation and ensuring our post-mortem bliss, but that God desires to be in continuous fellowship with his creatures, with the creation that he made and called good. In the Middle Ages, some of the medieval theologians referred to God's judgment as God's opus alienum. His strange work And they thought of God's mercy as his opus proprium, his proper work. And the conclusion that some of them drew uh, from this was that when God's judgment and God's mercy collide... God's mercy trumps God's judgment every time. When John the Baptist speaks of the judgment of God, he is not speaking of this in his thought world in primarily individual I, 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 me, me, me terms. That's how we think about it all. Since the Reformation, I would guess that most of us think about it in those terms. John the Baptist was thinking corporately. He was thinking about God's judgment on the people of God and their responsibility now to restore in human history the plans and purposes of God cooperating with the divine initiative begun in them at their baptism. And so by virtue of that, We were to understand ourselves as the people of God and that God's redemptive work was operating in corporate terms primarily. So cleaning up our relational life together may have something to do with a movement towards a more godly society, a society where it is easier for people to be good, which would have been his primary focus. But if you wish to focus on the fact that it's I, 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 me, 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 we're all talking about our personal salvation, you know? That that's the most important thing that we have to do and to seek. It would come as a great shock to many evangelical preachers who you see on television and in other places these days who rail against the overweening individualism and subjectivity of this country... And forget that the origins of that, philosophically and every other way, reside in the theological perspective that they hold and teach and preach. You can draw a straight line back to Roger Williams of the Rhode Island colony and get exactly what we're talking about. At the end of his life, Roger Williams belonged to a church that had one member, him, So that's the kind of exclusivity that you can get down to when your focus is on holiness of life and purity of life as the principal goals of the Christian faith in life. Those things are not unimportant, but they're not the whole Megillah. So remember with God's judgment, when God's judgment and God's mercy collide, God's mercy triumphs and trumps. God's judgment. Repentance is an important thing to do. It means to uh, change your perspective, to turn around and look at things in a different way. In the New Testament, uh, there are two words in the Greek text that are used for repent. The one that preachers talk about most of the time and is over, the overwhelming uh, favorite in the Greek text is metanoia. Right? To change direction, to look at things in a new way, to turn around. There's another word that is used, sometimes Paul uses it, it's used other places, called uh, epistrophe. It means the same thing as metanoia, except there's a difference. Metanoia focuses itself in its origins, its etymology, I never get etymology, entomology, that sort of moths and lepidoptera and everything, and then I don't know, but you know what I mean, I hope. And that is that uh, metanoia has to do with your internal, emotional, spiritual and mental states, and the resolve that you make regarding them to change, your, the, the internal conviction that you have now that you need to do this. You need to sort of change direction in big and small ways, perhaps. Epistrophe means that too, but it means that you take that internal resolve and commitment and put it in your hands. You make a decision about how you're going to now act and behave in relationship. So that's an important part of repentance, turning around and looking looking at your life uh, in a new way. All of us need to do that. You know, it doesn't just have to do with religious stuff. All of us do that about a lot of things, don't we? We make some decisions about how we need to move in a different direction. Sometimes it's in fits and starts, two steps forward, three steps back. You have to do it this way. But it's that resolve that change somehow is important and it is the principle by which we come to a clearer and surer focus of God's will and purpose for us as we live. Every day when I get up, I use a spiritual method that I actually learned in seminary that comes from 17th century France, an era of hair-raising spiritual disciplines. And this one is called the Sulpician Method. Some of you who have been to Paris may have actually been to the church called Saint-Sulpice. It has a great organ in it. And there is a religious order of men that came from that congregation back then called the Sulpicians. Most of the time they teach in seminary. The most famous one I know of in America was Father Raymond Brown, who was the great New Testament scholar, uh, one of them in the 20th century in any denomination. And he was a Sulpician. So this discipline is, this is David Brewer's distillation of this. So if you go to Wikipedia and look up Sulpician Method, you may say, is he nuts? (laughs) But here's what it is. I get up and I say, Jesus before my eyes in adoration, Jesus in my heart in communion, And Jesus in my hands, in cooperation. I have to say this to you. The the longer I've been doing this, the longer I've been a priest, after all this about... uh, Jesus has become more important to me than anything. And somehow that's a way that I center myself in Him. And understand Him to be the template that I lay over my own spiritual life and development. Jesus before my eyes in adoration, Jesus in my heart in communion, Jesus in my hands in cooperation. I hold before me what it is that got me here in the first place in the highest and best and most affirming way. How do I take the resolves that I make about the particular day and hold them close to my heart and up to God in communion, in relationship, and now how do I put it in my hands and live it in some form of behavior. Just as a footnote, a great friend, I, when I was in seminary, one of the, de- the deans that I had, we had two or three pass through and become bishops, I think. One of them uh, talked about uh, the fact that as you, when you become a priest and you serve people in parishes, that through your ministry, you're often going to meet people whose own spiritual life is far deeper than your own. And that you should not feel, uh, when you have that experience, uh, any problem. It's not an ego-bruising thing here. It has to do with uh, seeing what kind of um, uh, insights they can provide you along the way. And I had a guy who was uh, in my parish in Sausalito many years ago. And we were involved in something that uh, was a community thing uh, we were doing, and we'd formed a nonprofit community development corporation, and we were doing stuff. At one time, he was the youngest city manager in the United States. He, com- he managed the town of Katati, up a little north of, of Marin County. And Bob said to me as we began the day one day early with conferences and everything, he said, David, Don't prejudge the process. Don't prejudge the process. Jesus before my eyes in adoration. Jesus in my heart in communion. Jesus in my hands in cooperation. You know you just have to do that one day at a time. And don't prejudge the process. So this week, see if you can make any progress with Jesus before your eyes in adoration, Jesus in your heart in communion, and Jesus in your hands in cooperation in everything that you do. Amen.